Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning. My name is Adam, and I'm one of the ministers here on staff, and it is a pleasure uh, to be with you all. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, we've been talking about who Jesus is, and it's really, uh, really cool, because in the beginning of the year of 2014, we started in the book of Colossians, and now here we are at the end, and we're, we're back to Colossians again, and, and in the beginning of the year, we talked about Jesus being enough, that, that when God created us, He imprinted upon us who he is. And when we separated from him through our sin, it left this imprint that only God can fill. And Jesus is enough to fill that because Jesus is our king, he's our Lord, he's our God. And at this point, we return to the book of Colossians and and we're looking at how Jesus is enough. In the first week of this series, we looked at Jesus, our gospel, that, that he is good news. And the good news of Jesus Christ is this, that, that even though we removed ourselves from God, that he's enough to fill that through his sacrifice, through his blood spilt to cover and take away our sin so that we might return to oneness with God, Jesus is enough, and he is our gospel. He is good news. Amen? And Jesus is our king. That not only does he hold this galaxy, universe, space together and control gravity and all those things that are way beyond my intellect, that he's king of those things, but he desires to be king of our lives. And that's really the rub, because when we try to live our life our own way or, or, or remove ourselves from God, there, there's a disconnect, and we, and we are always really trying to live this abundant life. But apart from God, it's impossible. Apart from Jesus, it's impossible. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that Jesus must be our king. And then last week, Mark talked about Jesus being our salvation, our savior, that he saved us from a life of death, that he saved us from sin and death by his resurrection and by his death on the cross. He conquered sin and he's conquered death. And so Jesus is our salvation. He's our savior. And that's really so key to all that Jesus talks about. I mean, he he comes to set the captives free. He proclaims freedom. And, And this is really amazing because as we continue to dive in Colossians, we're going to be in chapter three. And Paul starts along this track of freedom. And he starts in verse 1. He says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, Jesus came to set us free, and this is so reminiscent of what we read way in the beginning in Genesis. In chapter 2, God speaks to man for the first time recorded, and, and it's fascinating because 
Uh, many of you out there are, are parents. A lot, a lot of your kids are here with you today. I wonder what it was like that first time you held your baby in your arms. I mean, what were you going to say? What were the words that you were going to express to your child? Well, we have a glimpse of what God says to Adam. He says this in verse 16. He says, And Lord God commanded the man, saying, You are free. You see, the first things, the first thing that God ever says to man is, You're free. You're free. You guys like freedom? Amen. But, but the world defines it in this really twisted and contorted way that, that is different than the way God defines it. You see, the world says you're free to do whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want, wherever you want, however you want, and with whomever you want. And since we're all PC, we'd say as long as it doesn't hurt that other person. But God defines it very differently. As we continue, look at, look at verse 16. It says, It says, the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you'll surely die. It's it's like God saying, Adam, here's the worship center and you're free. You're free to enjoy me. You're free to enjoy all all these people here. You're free to enjoy this worship center, this this place. But, But Adam, there's this corner right here and it's, it's wicked and it's evil and it's, it, it desires to control you and to, to kill you and to poison you. Just stay, stay away from that. Don't touch it. And so we have freedom. We can, we can play on the keys, right? We can bang on the drums. We can, we can run around and, and enjoy one another and enjoy people, right? A little high five up front, right? We can, we can do this. Another high five. Look at that. I'm getting high fives everywhere because there's freedom, Dawn, baby. And there's life, Chris. Give me some. And, and all of this stuff in this life is so incredible and we get to experience it. You know, I'm getting some back here, right? Because this is freedom, right? And God wants us to enjoy it. He wants us to enjoy life. Got to say hey to the tech booth. Because there's a beautiful thing about this. And God has created this for us to enjoy him and to enjoy one another. And, and Paul is getting this because he warns us and he reminds us, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on God. On, set your mind on things above. Set your heart on things above because there's this corner here and it, it wants to entice. And it wants to drag and it, it, it just seems so compelling at times. I just want to look at it, but God is calling me elsewhere, and, and, and sometimes I just, I touch it, and, it, and it, it takes a piece of me away. It hurts, but I thought it was so good, and initially it seemed good, but I'm realizing it's just not And Paul gets this. When you read the letters of Paul, and I want to encourage you, read Romans 6 through 8. I think he talks about this so well, about this struggle, about this pull. And even here in Colossians, he talks about it. But but the reminder of Paul in Colossians 3 is to set our hearts on things above, to set our minds on things above. And, and this is 
the proclamation of scripture. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Hebrews 12, the author writes these words. He says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out before, before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Uh, Paul writes in, in Romans 12 two, the same encouragement. He says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. God has set you free, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, when we're fixed on Jesus, the distractions of this world, the, the things that glimmer and shine that would pull us away from him are less attractive. And in Philippians, he reminds us again, chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, he says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It is these things that he encourages us to because we get distracted. We get distracted by, by these things that would pull us away. And there's this old computer term, G-I-G-O. Some of you may remember it, garbage in, garbage out. But, but what Paul is saying here is, but, but no, the opposite is true. Also, good things in, good things out. And so the question becomes, what are we allowing in? If God has set us free and made us free, are we fixing our eyes on him? Are we, are we fixated? Are we focused? Are we planted on him? Because he is our life. Amen? All right, I like that little response. Love it. All right, so let's continue in Colossians. Um, in verse 5, Paul, Paul gets this. He, he, gets, he gets the corner, if you will, right? Those things that pull away and, and entice us. And he says about those things, he says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. He's saying this, put off death. Put off those things that want to kill you. Put off those things that want to poison you. Put off those things that want to destroy you. I uh, think that's really hard, you know? I mean, it, it seems like daily that that's, that's a struggle. I think that's why Luke says, records of Jesus, he says, if anyone wants to follow after me, he must deny himself daily, take up his cross and follow after me. I mean, he, he gets it. It's a daily thing. Paul talks about it in Romans 6 through 8. It, it's this constant nagging because the enemy doesn't want us to live abundantly, but Jesus does. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, 
The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. In Jesus, there's life. Uh, I was reading uh, about a year ago, and I, I remember what I was reading a year ago because it was so prevalent. And, and this happens from time to time. I'll be reading, and God just kind of says something, you know. And, and about a year ago, I, I was complaining about a lot of things. I'm a passionate guy. I, I love people. I love God. And, and I just, I love it uh, here to be with you guys. And sometimes when you're passionate about things, you, you think they should go a certain way. And when they don't, you get judgmental. And you start to complain. And that's my illness, my weakness, my death, if you will. And as I was reading through scripture this day, about a year ago, I came across Philippians 2.14 through 16, and it says this, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. And as I read that first line, do everything without complaining, the Holy Spirit just convicted me, Adam, you've been complaining a lot. You don't have to. And immediately I, I, I repented. I changed my mind of that. I said, God, I don't, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the person that, that is living a life of death. I want to be a person that embraces your life and lives a life that you've given. And, and Father, please forgive me for these things. Take them. I don't, I don't want them. And, and God is so gracious and he reminds us that, that we're forgiven and we're free. And, and he said, but Adam, I want to... I want to show you what happens when you complain. And, and as I kept reading, it says this, so that you may become blameless and pure. God was just showing me how when you complain, it, it affects your purity. When you put on this life of death, it is affecting your purity. And he continued, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. He said, Adam, it's not only affecting your purity, but it's affecting your representation of me. And that, that hit home. I mean, isn't that the beauty of, of this life we have? To, to have joy and to have peace and to have love and, and to care for one another and to look like Jesus looked because he's our life. And when that happens, it's amazing how others start to want to be around you. And they want to know, what, what, what's, what's different about you? What, what is this, this thing that you have? Why, why? You just got laid off, but you have joy. You just lost a loved one, but there's contentment. You're grieving, but you're content. I don't understand those things. You see, the representation that we have is beautiful because we get to show Life, we get to show Jesus, and others want to be part of that. And there's awesome opportunity there, and we'll talk more about that next week when Mark returns. So, Paul, as he's writing through this this book of Colossians, and he's writing down his thoughts, he he understands those things that that God has set us free, but but the enemy in this world, and and even our own selfish desires, want want to put us in this life of death and. And he says, but, but, but here's the good news, and I, and I love 
how Paul wraps this, this part up. In verse 10, he says this, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. God has all these things for us. But, but here's, here's the thing that, that I'm, I'm starting to discover more and more is that we never really receive something until we give it. There's this verse in Matthew 10, 7 and 8. It says this, As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. If you've been with us for the last four weeks on, on Sunday evening, we've been having Advent services. And don't come tonight because Advent's over and we celebrated Christmas. But Advent is a time where we wait upon the celebration of the coming of Jesus, his birth. And if you've been with us, it's, it's been amazing. And, and oftentimes, if, if you didn't grow up with with some liturgy in your life or, or Advent services, we miss that parallel. But the parallel is this. There are gifts under the tree. And if you're anything like my family, when we buy a gift for someone, we go home and we wrap it up immediately and we put it under the tree. And, and my kids, Bella and Grayson, they love it because they'll wake up every morning and they'll run to the tree to look and see, did I get another gift? Is there, is there something new for me? And, and there's these beautiful things called gifts under the tree and we wait in expectation, in anticipation for what they'll be. And, and Bella, she loves to shake and listen and Grayson just likes to, he's kind of the introvert, he just kind of stands back from afar and looks and surmises through the shape and the size of the gift, what it will be. And so on Christmas Day, we have this tradition, Christmas Eve night, they'll sleep under the tree. So that way they wake up nice and early. And then they come run into mom and dad's room. Come on, let's open presents. And so we get up and, and we open presents. And, and man, they have them lined out, right? I mean, it's, it's present one and then present two and present three. And sometimes they go from tall to short, and sometimes they go from which one they think is the one they really want to the ones that are like socks and underwear or whatever. <laughs> and so we go out, and we start opening gifts. And, and Bella, she's so sweet. I, I mean, she will open a gift, and, and it's like 
whatever it is, like a, a, a camera, and she'll be like, oh, camera, I love it. It's the best. It's what I've always wanted. And, and she makes you feel all good for giving her the gift. And then, and then she'll open the next one, and it's like socks, and she'll be like, oh, these are the best socks ever. It's what I always wanted. And, and the kid's just full of joy. And, and so they, they open all these gifts, and, and when they're through, and, th- and this may be common, they go to that one gift, right? That, that one gift, and they play with it. They use it. And, and, and this whole process, let me walk you through this process one more time. They, they receive the gift, they open it, and then they use it. But there are other gifts that were received and opened, but kind of discarded. See, a gift is only ever truly received when we use it. And Paul talks about these gifts that he's given us. Compassion. God's given us kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Patience is a tough one. Humility, that's tough. Kindness, gentleness, compassion, I'm I'm okay at. I guess we all have our strengths and weaknesses, but but he hits this one, forgiveness. And and that's, that's a tough one, you know? It's a tough one to think about because God, he, he recognized the corner. He recognized that, that we embraced the corner and, and were separated from him, but he made a way in Jesus to come and die on that cross to, to forgive us our sins, to give his life for our life so that we could be one with him again. And if we embrace the forgiveness of God it's not just for us. It's for everyone. But, but we have to embrace it before we can give it. And I believe that's the linchpin. But what binds it all together, what, what brings it all together, Paul says, is, is love. This gift of love. John, in his epistle in 1 John 4, 8, he says, God is love. And, and love encapsulates all all these other gifts. When I, when I receive God's love and I give God's love, I'll be compassionate and kind and forgiving and humble. And I think a lot of us, I know me for so long, we had this mental assent to what that gift of love was, to receiving love. Like, I, I know God loves me and I know all these things, but my life wasn't changed. I wasn't, I wasn't very loving because I hadn't received it. I may have known about it, but I didn't believe it. But God in his grace and mercy transforms us. He, he purifies us. He cleanses us. And, and that, that time, that, that, that moment when I, when I truly embraced God's love, I, I wept and I, I cried and I was thankful and I was joyous. And, and there was this freedom that happened. I know many of you have experienced that, and, and maybe some of you haven't. But today's the day. I mean, right? God's got love. God's got life. He's got forgiveness. He's got everything. He's got this gift waiting for you. Whether you've walked with him for a long time or, or whether you're opening that gift up for the first time, 
He's got this gift and it's, it's endless, it's infinite. The love of God is infinite and the beauty of that relationship with God is that it goes on and on and on forever. Amen, amen. And so when we embrace this life, this Jesus who is our life, there's freedom. And next week, I'll, I'll give you a little teaser. Mark is gonna talk about what this life how this life encourages us and inspires us. And in Galatians 5.13, Paul says this, you were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Don't go back to that corner, but rather serve one another in love. There's life in Jesus. There's beauty and there's joy and there's peace and contentment. And we get to experience this with one another. Let, let's pray. Father, thank you for your life, for your beauty, for your joy, for all that you are and all that you have and that you offer that to us. Lord, we proclaim as a family and as a body that we receive this gift, we accept it. Father, help us to learn how to open it and how to use it and how to give you glory and honor in all that we think, say, and do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.